raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock My name is Nigel. Tony Kennett, investigative columnist for The Daily Signal, filling in for one Mr. Jason Allen Hammer. The border crisis continues. I like to call it the Biden border crisis because it is all his fault what's happening down there. Uh, 20,000 illegals currently being held in detention centers along the Wait southern a border. Held in detention centers? I was told that that was really bad. That's keeping kids in cages, Nigel. Where's AOC in the white pantsuit? There is a parking lot that she could be crying in right now. Well, we've got a way. Apparently, the Biden administration has a unique way of uh, sort of alleviating these facilities Ooh, and unique. the overcrowding. I, I like that. Unique. Um, because it's become very overcrowded, very dire. So what the Biden administration has done, they wrote a letter to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials telling them to release migrant family unit members into the United States with no expiration date on the order to, uh, to stop and in lieu of any Title VIII regulations. So that means they did not limit the release of the migrant family unit members by nationality or reason for legally, uh, illegally entering the country. Um, there is no process of qualifying for relief, or they, they did not conduct any asylum credible fear hearings, as is mandated under Title Eight. They just said, bye. Uh, now, not, not all 20,000, but the, the family units being released into the United States, again, with no expiration date of the order. Um, and and really know who <laughs> they just yeah see ya is there a court date or you know no like no a, no no so so what the Biden administration has has done is just given the, these individuals who may have legally or illegally entered the country like a free ultimate green card like just just go you know just oh we're gonna let you go you're go yes. we, we have released you without any expiration date without any kind of qualifier just yep. go be free into the wind I mean first of all considering all the things you need an ID for in this country that's incredibly cruel to release people with like no support just yo just go sure hey, yeah. I hope you don't starve see ya and then on the flip side on the more conservative and libertarian uh, kind of enforcing our national border side of the situation. Uh, it, wait, it, we're not checking people for affiliation. Just, hey, you look like a family. Like, exactly. you look like you could sing the first couple of sentences from Family Guy. Get on out of here, <laughs> you scamp. <laughs> so so that happens, right? And the, the order comes down to start releasing these, these family units, these illegal family units that have been detained. And then last night, after conducting this wide-scale release of the family units, uh, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection released this statement on social media. The U.S. border is not open to irregular migration. Don't listen to the lies of smugglers. U.S. immigration policies have not changed. Under Title VIII, individuals and families who arrive without authorization will be subject to removal, and non-citizens can be returned to their country of origin. Individuals who are removed may be barred from re-entry for five years. Individuals should rely on only official U.S. government information, not social media rumors or other unofficial sources. 
Again, the border is not open to irregular migration. The border is not open unless it you're... Is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, an illegal, uh, uh, you know, you've illegally entered. Unle- unless you a, bring a, a trafficked a, child with you, yes. you the, the border is closed. You know, unless you are smuggling things with or through or just smuggling the children themselves, you're not allowed here. However, if you can kind of, you know, pass yourself off as a family, you know, you dig that knife into the into the uh, back of the child in front of you, then sure. I mean, we've seen those reports. It's disgusting, and yet we're openly encouraging that kind of behavior along our southern border. It's contemptible. Meanwhile, the only person that seems to be doing anything about the southern border is Governor uh, Abbott, Texas Governor Abbott. Oh, called yes. Called some National Guards down there. Uh, but he's being portrayed as a as a monster for trying to keep illegals from crossing the Rio Grande, which in and of itself is dangerous for people to do that. He's put out, did you see these giant buoys yeah. to stop the crossings? Yeah, the, the big massive string of like orange, yes. like you guys know when you're in the, at the pool and there, there's like the bar of floaties that separates the shallow end from the deep end for kids. There's a bunch sure. of huge orange ones that are floating on some Texas border crossing points over water so that hopefully migrants, at least at some point, will not attempt to cross that you can't, area. You can't get past these things. Yeah. They've got sharp edges on them. You can't cross. So that's one way to d- discourage people from crossing. It's a discouragement like the wall. It's like saying, hey, maybe it's not a good idea to try doing this. But Democratic Congressman Joaquin Castro wants you to know that Trying to stop people from crossing the border illegally is actually cruel and dangerous. You really have a situation where the state government and Greg Abbott are treating human beings like animals. Uh, these are folks who are asylum seekers who are trying to petition for asylum in the United States. Uh, and this is how the men, women, and children is incredibly dangerous, incredibly inhumane. And that's the reason that I've said that it's barbaric. It's barbaric to try to keep people from crossing the border illegally. Also, I love how he's like pretending that crossing, swimming through the the rivers bordering the U.S. and Mexico is the only way for uh, um, asylum seekers to seek asylum. Uh, fun fact: there are several points in Mexico that you can go to to seek asylum in the United States. We have little offices set up in Mexico. We have people there working that are like, "Yes, you can come apply for asylum. You can legally They've got migrate." An app. Like they do. They have an app that crashes only one out of every 10 times you open it. Like you can do all that. You don't have to swim. This isn't people getting out of Cuba to Florida. You don't have to inflate the tires on your Chrysler and paddle over. That's so disingenuous. And by the way, do you see how like he goes on to describe uh, these buoys as chainsaw attachments? Right. They're chainsaw right, attachments. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, the buoys with a sharp edge. That The new Milwaukee M12 buoy chainsaw. <laughs> so sharp it can cut water. Get out of here. And one of my favorite things, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, is some of these, these Democrat governors that uh, are, are in charge of sanctuary states and cities, like Maura Healey, the governor of Massachusetts, sent this letter to DHS begging for money to provide shelter for more than 5,500 illegal aliens that are in her state and it's overwhelmed the state's capacity oh no is the sanctuary state upset <laughs> that they're getting what they asked for oh man i mean you have new york city mayor adams don't you hate lying in the bed that you made 
Oh my gosh, I planted corn and I got corn out of the ground. What is this? <laughs> and then Mayor Adams, of course, sending, printing out flyers, sending pallets of flyers down to the southern border telling these people, do not come to New York City. There is no room for you. Well, to, to be fair, it's not really fair to call them immigrants because as former Speaker Pelosi categorized them, they are uh, caterers. Uh, short order cooks and lawn care workers. That's what she said. You know, the, you know, that's that's what they are. There's nothing. Her. There's no stereotyping going on there at all. No, is there? no, no, not at all. I mean, good God, what a mess! And it's a mess that they not only made but endorsed. Meanwhile, more trouble for the Biden crime family. We'll we'll stay in the world of Joe Biden. Uh, here's the headline: The Biden family business whatever that is or was, received over $20 million from Russia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan while President Joe Biden was vice president in the Obama administration. This is more discoveries from the House Oversight uh, Committee and the chairman, James Comer. So I have been waiting to share this one with you guys all day. Nigel set this one up for me like a volleyball ready to spike. <laughs> Here you go. The Oversight Committee has revealed that a Kazakhstani oligarch, Kenneth Rashiv, wired the exact price of Biden's Corvette to a bank account used by Archer and Hunter Biden. The next day, the next calendar day, ladies and gentlemen, a payment was made to purchase Biden's Corvette. Which Corvette, you may ask? The one he keeps. In the garage next to the documents that he's also not supposed to have. Busted. Got him. Wow, that is um, that's 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 quite the story. And he can and drive that bad. Corvette straight to prison. Yeah, straight to prison. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Yeah, I got my Taylor Swift reject letter last night. I, I've, I've been waitlisted for the concert next year, devastating my nine-year-old. Oh. Uh, more on that. That's not the announcement we were... Uh, <laughs> talking about earlier when we teased uh, your announcement. I'm here with Tony Kennett, who is an investigative columnist for The Daily Signal. And uh, you know what? You've been chomping at the bit to talk about this. I have. Um, we got the official okay to go ahead and make the big announcement. So, my friend, the floor is yours. So, earlier this year, I had the opportunity to kind of sub in for Abdul while he was running for mayor. I took over his Saturday show for a while, and that was a blast. I had a lot of really great guests and uh, was really shocked at the people who actually tuned in to listen to me whine for a couple hours every Saturday. And uh, (laughs) well, we talked it through with the station and also with Daily Signal and the Heritage Foundation, things like that. And starting in about a month, uh, thinking around-ish, either September 11th following week, whichever Monday that is, uh, we are going to start uh, the Tony Kinnett cast on WIBC, so uh, on weekdays here at WIBC from 7 to 8 p.m., and that'll be right after wow. Hammer and Nigel, so the Tony Kennett radio show is happening. You got a great lead-in. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a tough act to follow. <laughs> so nightly, Tony Kennett nightly right after the Hammer and Nigel show from 7 to 8 p.m., Monday through Friday. Right a here show on for all of the people on second shift. 
who don't normally get yeah. to listen to all the good stuff during the day. Well, they get the mediocre stuff at night. So it'll work. It'll be fun. It'll be a blast. If you can't catch it, then you can catch it. It'll be available on podcast services the next day. Hang around on the YouTube live stream. Yeah. I, I can't say this for certain, but a certain Zodiac killer might be stopping by for the first episode. <laughs> so there's a lot of interesting things coming up. Looking forward to that. I think I, I think I understand that joke. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Could Ted Cruz stop yeah, by on the first episode? Ted Cruz. Perhaps. <laughs> uh, we might have some other uh, fun things for the first episode as well. What's the show going to be? I mean, so basically, I, I have if I have one bone to pick with WIBC, the the only one is that you guys focus on the very center core of Indianapolis just way too much, and you guys have a huge listener base outside of 465 right. uh, who needs a little bit of attention and uh, a little bit of that classic Hoosier grew up in the sticks kind of attitude. And uh, that's the kind of stuff I that I that I bring. Well, yeah, well, that's why I like you so much. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff we'll be bringing. A little recap from the day, a couple of special segments. And, uh, of course, actually following after some of the greatest things about our great state of Indiana. It's going to be fun. And uh, when is this again? When does it start? Well, about a month from now. We're thinking around. either September 11th, September 18th, around that time. Okay. We'll, we'll let you guys know. Congratulations, man. And uh, thank you for uh, the great job you're doing filling in here for Hammer while he's gone. Allison, grab the mic real quick. Um, did you have to – you just got back from uh, Taylor Swift in – was it Cincinnati or Nashville? It was Cincinnati, yes. Okay. D- did you have to sign up – like I had to – Oh, Nigel. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yes. Uh, I was the first round, yes, where you have to – so Ticketmaster has this thing called a verified fan. Yes. You have to register your Ticketmaster account to get a pre-sale code okay. that's specific to you, and you have to uh, submit that the day of the pre-sale tickets – and then you get in. The initial issue that happened my time around, half our codes were not working, and then the website also crashed. So that was a big debacle okay. last time around. So this time around, many people, including yourself and I, and basically everyone I personally know, has got rejected, and they've been on what we, uh, I guess, referred to as the wait list. Yeah, they. so I get an email. So uh-huh. all my we have this circle of neighbors and friends and family oh, yeah. that all... Uh, you know, registered for mm-hmm. t- Ticketmaster, and and you know, put in like, yeah, sign me up. I want the code. And then last night was the night we started. <laughs> people were getting emails yeah. about uh, whether or not you got the presale code. Right. I've been waitlisted. And it told me to hang tight. So, what does that? What, what does being waitlisted mean? So, this is a new thing, and I think they started this because of the big crash last time. So, I think they're slowly letting out these pre-sale codes, from my understanding. So, I'm sure the first handful did today, and I'm assuming the next day or two before it goes on general public sale, we should get codes. It's obviously on the email. It's saying we're not guaranteed anything. So. So, Honestly, who knows? If you did sign up, just k- keep a check on your email. So wait, so the people that got codes last night and didn't get waitlisted, are they now able to buy? Yeah, they're able to buy right them this now? morning at like ten o'clock. Okay, and tickets officially go on sale Friday, August eleventh, Friday, mm-hmm. when and then all the plebes get the crumbs that may or may not be left over. Yeah, don't Look you up. just hate plebe crumbs? I hate, I hate. So plebe I'm just crumbs. over here watching the the two Swifties like a cat watches a ping well, pong ball. Ho- hold on. 
Allison's a Swifty. I'm doing this for my daughter. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. not taking. I mean, you think I, I could sure, care less? No. Yeah, I, I could care less about Taylor Swift. Oh, I really. On, I, I mean, I know she's a relevant figure in the music industry. Obviously, I one heard, of the biggest stars in the world. Allison, I heard him sing earlier, and I'm telling you, he could rock. <laughs> I'm feeling 22. He really could. I did love uh, at the concert. Several dads were with their daughters, and they all had Swifty dad shirts on. So if you do yeah. go, Nigel, I will personally make you one. Okay. Thank you. Oh. Uh, we're we're and the thing is, the concert's not. Till November of next year, she'll be here for three nights. And they're talking. I was reading the Indy Star uh, this morning. The windfall the, the, Indianapolis is expecting the, in yeah in Indy tourism sales. expecting financial windfall from Taylor Swift and her 2024 shows three nights in a row. I think uh, they were talking about visit Indy, and it was too early to predict for Indy. But in Cincinnati, for example, with the concert that Allison went to, brought in 48 million dollars purely from the concert spending and $92 million over the weekend as a whole. And that was just in Cincinnati. They was the same in Los Angeles, hundreds of millions of dollars. So, I mean, Visit Indy, I was reading this article, they're expecting downtown hotels to sell out, not only downtown, but hotels mm-hmm. across central Indy in the donut counties. So, that's that's exactly what I wanted to mention. So, I am not a Taylor Swift fan. I'm not. However, I will say two things. Number one, she puts on a, a great show, amazing stamina, really cool doing the Eras thing we talked about last time. Number two, I love, or maybe this is number three, I love seeing Indianapolis, a, a like a convention, a sport. A come stay here and watch stuff kind of city be used in that way. I love that. That's what Indianapolis was mapped and set up to do. And when you hold these kind of huge events and bring this kind of business to the city, good things happen. Visit Indy was sort of breaking it down in this Indy Star article, saying that at least 100,000 people per night for the three-day weekend that she'll play in Indy. And to put that in context, they compared it to the Gen Con, which filled downtown uh, over the weekend, uh, attracted over 70,000 attendees. And that was a record for a convention, by the way. Gen Con sent a record for a convention for the four days. Gen Con brought around $75 million in economic impact for the city. So I love that it. would be like, so, so, so. Taylor Swift, three nights at Lucas Oil, would be like hosting Gen Con and the Fire Department Conference at the same time over the same weekend. That's what they're comparing it to. That's how huge of an economic impact Taylor Swift will have on the economy of this city. Great. Love it. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hammer and Nigel show. My name is Nigel. Tony Kennett is also here filling in for Jason Hammer. We'll go straight to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on Congressman Jim Banks. Uh, Indiana's third district also running for senator. Congressman, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Good to be with you. So, I, man, I saw this headline and then I, I immediately texted your people and said, you've got to come on and tell us about this. Uh, the, I think this headline was from News Nation. I'm not sure. China funneled $17 million into, quote, little red classrooms in U.S. schools. And when I say U.S. schools, I'm not talking about colleges. I'm talking about K through 12 schools. Uh, I know you fired off a letter to the Department of Education to take action. Can you just start at the beginning here? Tell me how you found out about this and exactly what's going on. Well, we've all heard of the Confucius Institutes on college campuses. By by the way, it was about uh, three years ago that Indiana University closed its Confucius Institute and ended its agreement with 
the, the the group in China that funded it and uh, booted it from its college campus. But Indiana University wasn't alone. Uh, during the Trump administration, we saw Confucius Institutes closed all over the country as we went at links to expose how on college campuses, the Chinese Communist Party uses these Confucius Institutes as a, a place to launch a lot of their uh, schemes and, and some of their intelligence gathering efforts uh, on college campuses. So as we saw that diminish, uh, this came to light to me that while Confucius Institutes were uh, declining on college campuses, the, co- the Chinese Communist Party, through their united front, funneled $17 million, as you said, to a very uh, similar a type of uh, operation, but in our K through 12 schools, I'm talking. Unfortunately, there aren't any examples in Indiana, but there are examples in states like Texas, Kentucky, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Washington. So I called on Secretary Cardona. Uh, by the way, I'm not going to hold my breath that this guy's going to do anything about this because yeah. the, the Biden administration is totally in bed with with uh, our biggest enemy, the Chinese Communist Party. But I called on the Secretary of Education. Secretary Cardona to look into it, and uh, and if he doesn't look into it, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to point my finger at him and and the the entire Biden administration for allowing this to happen, to allow our biggest enemy to funnel uh, funding uh, into schools for their type of uh, their 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 different type of anti-American activities that uh, we know have been occurring all along. Right. And Representative Banks, this is kind of the question that I have, because I used to be in these schools. I've done a lot of curriculum audits across the greater Midwest, especially after I left Indianapolis Public Schools, looking at at how schools utilize uh, the data that they take from students inside their schools. And you talked about with the Confucius Institute that basically this is a huge data mining operation that the Communist Party of China uses. And one of the concerns that a lot of parents have had in this country over the last couple of years is what the survey data and information from students that's taken from them at school, what it's being used for, where it's being stored, how it's being used. And now we find the Chinese government pumping millions of dollars into American schools, many of these schools near U.S. military bases, in order to possibly mine data from American uh, students and their families. At what point to Congress uh, do we start to look at this as possibly a, a serious national security threat? Well, it is it is definitely that it is a serious national security threat because these institutes say that their goal is to teach culture and language. And that sounds innocuous, but we know that what it really ties to is giving our biggest adversary, the Chinese Communist Party, tentacles into our schools to influence our kids. And, you know, when we talk about let's take a step back from what we're talking about, we talk about critical race theory and anti-Americanism and, and all this garbage is being pushed on our kids in schools to tell them that America is inherently racist and systemically racist and evil and not worth fighting and dying for. Uh, think about that rhetoric uh, from the perspective of a foreign adversary, the Chinese Communist Party pushing pro uh, propaganda that that uh, talks about them being great. And there are you also have to keep in mind, there are always strings attached, okay? When Indiana University, right. for example, had a Confucius Institute, that meant that the because of the funding that was involved, I'm not just talking about IU, I went to school there, and you know, I'm proud of my degree, but 
um, not just IU, but all schools all over the country. At the same time, if they had a Confucius Institute and took their money, they weren't allowed to, say, have the Dalai Lama come and speak on college campuses. Or they had to protect these Confucius Institutes and some of the, the hidden activities that they would use to coerce Chinese national students on college campuses to report back about what was going on and on that college campus. Now, why is that dangerous at Indiana University? Because Indiana University is not that far away from one of the largest uh, Navy bases, Crane, in southern Indiana, and they use these sort of outfits as a launching ground to, to collect information from military bases. And that's what we're finding is, is uh, the national security threat comes from this funding going into local schools and what they get out of it. And that's why I'm, I'm very glad to. Yeah, where are the parents like who are these school board members that thought this was a good idea to the, huh. even allow this to happen? Yeah, a, a great example. Um, uh, I, I got a, a text message from a, a friend of mine who's a, a elected official and a federal elected official in Oklahoma. This became a big story in Oklahoma City because their right. school district is one of these school districts. And the superintendent had to go on TV and explain why she was allowing it to happen. It turned out that there was one single school board member a couple of years ago who voted against this program. And I, I don't know that school board member. I'm going to reach out to him or her and tell her that they were right. And all of their colleagues that allowed this to happen were wrong. And state and, superintendent oh, Ryan Walters of Oklahoma is putting up with none of that, by the way. He, did, he just talked to the Daily Signal, and he is unhappy. I mean, China state sponsoring censorship at U.S. universities and K-12 schools and attempting to possibly data scavenge huge amounts of data near our U.S. military bases. I mean, good Lord. And so, OK, tell me, you may have mentioned it already I, i'm trying to understand what so so a school accepts funding from china these little red classrooms what are they what's the curriculum what are they teaching them yeah i mean we don't know all of the answers and that's yeah. that's what's crazy and, and suspicious about it. i mean it's all about culture and language but i guarantee you there are strings attached because there are always strings attached when you're dealing with the Chinese Communist Party. There are other examples of this, not just Confucius Institutes and these little red classrooms, but... The Chinese police? You hear about the the Sister Cities program. Fort Fort Wayne, Indiana, that I represent, has a sister city in China, and they signed a contract a long time ago. I've been trying to get my hands on that contract, and nobody will give it to me because it's secret, and I guarantee you that in the the fine line and the, and the, the hidden print of that agreement... Um, are things that uh, that the public would be outraged to know that that their elected officials would be making making agreements with an adversarial country over? So I guarantee there there are similar strings attached to something like this. And and that's exactly what I want to point out here because you see we actually see China utilizing all of these deceptive programs through these names that supposedly sound nice. The Sister Cities program in and of itself is not a bad thing. Greenfield is a sister city with Kakuta, Japan, um, and it, it, there's a nice display in town. It, it's it's really nice, kind of a little bit of cool cross cultural communication. Um, and that's what they tried to tell you that these Chinese programs like the Confucius Institute are, oh, it's just it's just kind of spreading all of this cultural understanding, but it's not. It is China deliberately attempting to censor communication on college campuses that might negatively impact the Chinese Communist Party. That's uh, so ridiculous. And now they're wanting to funnel this into K-12 schools where kids are more susceptible, where your tax dollars are even more at work than they are in our universities. I mean, this is something everyone should be in arms over. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a threat. Yeah, it's just crazy that we would allow this to happen. Let me say this. Um, 
um, I, I don't want to ramble too much more about this, but under the Trump administration, the FBI had a concerted effort, like a total, a real total program, like a, a whole of department focus on going out and identifying uh, Chinese espionage in the United States through United United Front programs like Confucius Institutes or programs like this. And at, at, on day one of the Biden administration, they ended that that program at the FBI. And, and, and that's why we're seeing more and more examples like this come to light, because the Biden administration is allowing it to happen. Now, I, you know, I, people might call me a conspiracy theorist for this, but the more we find out about the Biden crime family taking money yeah. from the mm-hmm. Chinese Communist Party, the more the, the more obvious it is to me that we have the most pro-China and anti-American president that we've ever had sitting in the White House, as we do in Joe Biden. Well said. Congressman, uh, anything else we need to know about your Senate run? If somebody has a question about the story we've been talking about, um, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Well, the campaign, we're off to a great start, long ways to go, so many endorsements. um, But go to banksforsenate.com. You can sign up for our email list, get involved. We're gathering the signatures right now to get my name on the ballot, and we need help all over the state of Indiana to do that. So that's the most important thing that you can do to go to banksforsenate.com and get involved in that process today. Congressman Jim Banks, uh, keep us updated on the story. Uh, we'd love to have, have you back real soon. Thank you. Have a good day. You're listening to The Hammer and Nigel Show. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. You set them up and I'll knock them back, Lloyd. One by one. We are going to read booze news because it's really fun. What's in here? Your lips. It's so good. Mitchell presents. Booze news, booze news. Yeah. Time for booze news. Got any beer in your fridge uh, at home, Tony? Tony, um, you're not a you're no, not a big I, beer guy, are I, you? I like uh, I, I when I was in high school, uh, and I tried a, a honey mead that I really liked, and uh, then interesting, uh, yeah, I was over at uh, my uh, girlfriend's house in Newcastle, and it was kind of like an uppity thing. They were, it was really delicious. It was phenomenal. Like they like had it a little after dinner. It was delicious, and then I like cider. But other than that, Hard I cider. just can't. Yeah. I just don't really like the the beer is not one of mine. Well, I was surprised. Like, because you walk into any local brewery, chances are you're going to have a just a, a robust choice choices of IPAs. Various oh, different I mean, IPAs. Have you been to like the the BJ's Brew House over in the the southeastern like Commons area? They have like flags of like all of these different IPAs and craft yeah. beers they have. I, I I like IPAs. I exclusively you? like you if, an if IPA I'm drinking kind of man? if I'm drinking you know if I'm out with my buddies it's it's IPAs. I can't do like ten of them. <laughs> I no, might do no. like <laughs> no. I might I might do like four four liftoffs from my that's my favorite local IPA sure. from Daredevil. Is there and like then a switch flavor to a pil- profile Pilsner. that you kind of go for? Because like, like a hoppy citrusy, uh, oh, okay. you know, IPA. And that's, well, the, at the state fair, they had that blood orange like IPA yeah, yeah. thing going on. Did I tried that? that one. We we did our broadcast last Saturday or on last Friday, but this new report claims IPAs, as available as they are and as prominently featured as they are in these different breweries, are actually one of the least popular beers in America. 854 American beer drinkers polled found that most people prefer lagers 
pale ales are the second most popular and that includes like the craft stuff we talk about not just you know which styles of beer if you drank in the past year not just your preference right stuff like that so pilsners are third wheat beers brown ales stouts ipas are seventh they were only more popular than porters which i find uh really interesting i think stouts and wheat beers are like really surging i, mean, I don't like wheat I, i've never liked wheat beers i just don't like the taste that it leaves in my mouth there's a lot of guys i work with at the the daily signal who like the wheat beer is their go-to i think greg price he's, he's a big wheat beer kind of guy hammer and nigel Can you believe these characters are weirdos so let's rock Tony Kennett's filling in for Hammer. I'm Nigel. Let's talk a little bit more about why they're trying to get rid of uh, IMPD Chief Randall Taylor. Uh, Purpose of Life Ministries wants him to resign. Uh, talking a little bit about it at the top of the hour with Harrison Silcox and his newscast. And basically, they're saying that he doesn't hold his officers accountable. And they cite a bunch of examples. Uh, one being, look, I. People who listen to the show knows I'm about as pro-law enforcement as they come. My family comes from a background of law enforcement. Um, we're grateful for the men and women in the blue that risk their lives every day to protect us. But, you know, they mentioned that incident where the cop kicked a guy in the head. And that that was bad. The the do you, do you remember that? I do, uh, Tony. I mean, it, yep. it, the the guy had to, the officers had this guy cuffed. He wasn't cooperating. He was resisting. But he was on the ground, and the police officer, and he said it was an accident, meant to put his foot forcefully on the guy's shoulder, ended up kicking him. That that was bad. But some of these others, that they, some of these other incidents that they cite, uh, wanting, you know, Randall Taylor. And by the way, I've met the chief. Really nice guy. Oh, you have. A really nice man. Um, I don't. There's been some stuff I haven't liked that he has done in terms of support for for his rank and file officers, but he's a, mostly a good guy. So this this clergy guy from the Purpose of Life Ministries citing other incidents like remember the story that this giant the giant guy that was at his mom and dad's house that was had a mental breakdown. He was naked and resisting and he had his cuffed on the floor and they tased him and he died later. So I so when I was like, looking when I was looking over you you sending this to me, I remember that one, but not maybe clearly enough to well, provide they waited, discernment on they, it. They they I mean I I guess I just didn't know what they wanted the officers to do. This guy's out of control. He was he's a giant man. They had him cuffed. He was still resisting and so they tased him, ended up passing away and mirrors uh, Mears actually, uh, uh, I believe he indicted two of the officers a year later. So there's that going on. Whoa, I mean, Mears leveled an indictment? <laughs> yeah, against uh, police all, all officers. All on his own? Wow. Against I, police officers. Who, who knew he had it in him? And, and, a year, and a year later, no less. Okay. So the so, question... So, so like... I remember talking to uh, Rick Snyder when he, we were talking about this. He's like, all right, from now on, you know what? We're going to send the social workers in. Yeah. We're going to let them go in and handle the out-of-control, naked, yeah. giant man that is not being reasonable. Right. So this is the thing that, I, that I'm always aggravated with when I see a lot of these situations. Because so I, I think that one of the issues that we often hold a lot of officers to is that 
we believe that once a police officer enters the situation, they have control over time and space and God and man. And if anything at all goes wrong in that scenario, they are wholly 100 percent responsible for it. I think that's silly. Now, it is important to note, though, that they do hold a higher level of authority than anyone in a given situation. And that's important to keep in mind. But if we're going to go after the chief of police of the IMPD or any organization of law enforcement because of the the actions of his officers, you need to prove to me that he neglected to act, that there was evidence in front of his face. Because he is responsible for the actions of his officers. I agree. Yeah, of course. There's there's no situation where you're but, not. But let's look at some of these other things they cited, though. Uh, the guy that got shot in his car in his grandmother's driveway holding a gun. Uh, his grandma. Do you remember this one? I do. Um, grandma got scared, didn't know who it was, called 911. Uh, tried waking the guy up, and the guy had had his gun on him at some point, and the you know they didn't. The officers didn't know what he right. was going to do with that. Yeah, they hear someone that's terrified saying yeah. there's someone look threatened, don't know what's going on. Yeah, and then you know the the officer that police say was fleeing with a gun um, after he ran from a traffic stop. And the officer shot him. Yep. All these involve bad decisions. Yeah. Right. Made by the perpetrator. Right. All so, these all, all these incidents. So, like, it's tough to be a police officer, man. It is once it's, again it, time to talk about my current biggest theory that I won't shut up about, and that is called the weakest link. So, when you are going to level charges at a person, the more charges or the more cited sightings you citing a source that you add weakens what you are trying to level the moment that you provide something that's not as good. So the first couple of things we can talk about where there was an issue that maybe that, you know, we actually need to see whether the uh, the CO, whether the chief of police, what his decision was. But then you start like listing all of these grievances that you have and situations that officers aren't even at fault for, much less the chief of police. Sure. And, and all of a sudden, your entire case becomes weaker. And I said the same thing about the Trump indictments. Okay, the documents indictments, okay, there's some stuff there. Now they're just coming up with indictments uh, out of, you know, out of nowhere at any time. And it, it's really yeah. ruining... You know, it's getting watered down. Right, exactly. So, like, I see the same thing here, and maybe I'm wrong, but at this moment, the more you start adding your personal feelings to charge lists, you weaken your case. You're just yelling now at this point. And the IMPD released a statement supporting uh, Chief Taylor. Uh, Jefferson Sharif, who's uh, running against uh, Hogsett, said, quote, a problem of this magnitude goes right to the top. Mayor Hogsett has decided he is the expertise to be his own public safety director and that's why we're here the mayor is accountable for public safety in indianapolis and this city needs a new one that was his response so uh i don't think chief taylor will be stepping down anytime soon no um bidenomics is is going really well oh yeah i i love paying uh, basically a 20 percent delta on our on all goods and services thanks americans though Unfortunately, have soured on Bidenomics, according to a new survey by Reuters. This Wait is a minute. Reuters. Hold on so. a second. You mean paying more money is not popular <laughs> with the American taxpayer? Get out of here. Americans have soured on Bidenomics, concluding that the U.S. economy is worse now than it was five years ago under former President Donald Trump's leadership. Here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Americans are dipping into their 401k now more than ever due to financial distress. Listen to this. This is according to the Bank of America data released yesterday. The number of people who made a hardship withdrawal 
during the second quarter surged for uh, from the first three months of the year to fifteen to almost sixteen thousand. No. That's an increase of thirty six percent from oh the second gosh. quarter. That's that's dipping that's into tragedy. their four hundred one k. That's a tragedy. I mean, you're, you're huge are- penalties first of all. And it's, I bet it's a direct result of Bidenomics. Well, it is, because we know that it's a direct result because of Bidenomics, because as soon as those policies were instituted and those economic factors were levied against those individuals, they started to take those measures. Another statistic to add on top of the horrible taking out of IRAs, for the first time in this country, we have officially passed a collective $1 trillion in credit card debt. So, Americans collectively, we have finally reached it, ladies and gentlemen. Americans are $1 trillion in credit card debt. The economy is going down the drain. I I feel it. Look, my wife and I are both lucky to have really good jobs, and and we do okay. I'm not going to pretend like we're, we're, we're... struggling but it i still notice our dollars aren't going as far as they should be no i went to at all I, I went to kroger last week we were going to make wolf brand chili hank hill's favorite uh, we just i wanted <laughs> so i what do you need for wolf brand what do you need for chili pie you need cheese you need wolf brand chili and you need fritos so i went to kroger in greenfield to pick up some fritos it was five dollars and 30 cents wow. for a regular bag not family size $5.30 for a bag of Fritos. Now, some of you may go, oh, you're complaining about Fritos. That's kind of silly. No, 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 no. That was like two bucks a couple of years ago. Yes. What on earth? We've just accepted all of these prices, and that's just prices and services. Wage taxes and things have also increased at those interest rates. And I was I was listening this afternoon to an economic report that a now 20% markup delta. So you are now paying on average based on your income factored into what you're paying for goods for. Is a 20% markup from a few years ago. 20%. That's wild. Well, Tony, get used to the high prices at the grocery store. Uh, some items in particular that uh, we're going to see a jump in cost here coming up in the fall. Oh, yippee. Like, I'm talking about staples like beef, oranges, peaches, olive oil, chocolate are oh, all going to even get more expensive than beef. they already are. Not beef. I if, if I don't have at least, I don't, I mean, I'm not as snooty on cuts as a lot of guys, but if I am not making at least a steak every week or two, I, <laughs> I go into withdrawal. Yeah. Don't tax, don't, don't cut out my beef. Amber and Nigel presents is it depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this anything? All right, let's rock and roll. Rock and roll. All right, Tony Kennett filling in for Hammer. You know how to play Is This Anything, right? It's my favorite segment. I gonna, love I'm Is gonna, This Anything. Hammer usually gives me a couple of stories. I have to give him my take. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to give you a couple of stories, and uh, you, you, you take it, all right? Fire away. Well, uh, comedian and game show host Wayne Brady. Best known for Whose Line Is It Anyway and hosting uh, Let's Make a Deal. Whose Line Is It Anyway was one of the best TV shows. When when it was with Drew Carey, one of the best ever. Wow. So this is is a major deal. I can't believe it's not like the main headline in red on Drudge Report. Oh, oh, oh no. Um, Wayne Brady has shared some major life-changing news about his, his personal life. Oh, no. That he is... A pansexual. Oh my gosh. Cast iron or nonstick? <laughs> so for those of you out there, oh sorry, you, you gotta you gotta ask the question. I jumped the gun. Pan meaning I guess it means that, that some you're, days you're, you like boys and some days you like girls. Is 
Wayne Brady coming out to People Magazine and to all the world and announcing I'm a pansexual anything. It's hilarious. I mean, it's sad <laughs> because I, I really enjoyed watching Wayne Brady. I thought he was also good on How I Met Your Mother. Um, I enjoyed really just a, a lot of. But why is it sad? Work. Well, it's it's sad not because I'm I'm sad that he's decided to do something stupid. Stars do stupid things all the time. It's sad because it has become the norm when people fall out of the public eye and attention. People don't really care about what they're doing anymore. That they need to come out and announce some hot new take on their sexuality. So uh, pansexual. So, so which you're means, saying so this is kind of coinciding with a career that's on the downswing. Yeah, but I mean the, the pansexual means the exact same thing as bisexual. I mean you like boys. And girls, which means the exact same thing as demisexual, which means the exact same thing as polysexual. <laughs> and that, like these are all different, like nonsensical ways that we've described to tell people that you like screwing around. I don't understand why you need to tell people that you like multiple gender. Wait, you're not picking one person and sticking with them? Well, even, okay, even in a bigger picture, I, I've never understood the need to stand up and shout, hey, this is who I like to sleep with. That's true. Like, I, don't, I don't understand what the who cares. There are there are Unless, uh, there are some um, gay dudes in the conservative uh, movement and the libertarian movement that I've worked with that I've written with uh, that I didn't know how they felt about uh, going out and hooking up or who they were sleeping with until like it, I noticed it later on some type of a post like years later. Didn't matter because it doesn't matter. I don't care, Nigel. I don't care. Chadwick about your Moore. Chadwick Moore. Do you know who that is? He he wrote the uh, auto the, the biography on Tucker Carlson. Was on Tucker Carlson. He's a commentator. Yeah, guest the, name, on Tucker the name's Live. familiar. Yeah, Chadwick yeah. Moore. Uh, uh, he's a prominent gay conservative. I didn't know, and I don't he, care. He wrote. Yeah, but well, he actually got canceled because he wrote. I think in the Washington. Post or Brad New York Post. Brad Palumbo is a a, prino, a prominent libertarian uh, columnist uh, who also is apparently. I don't care. But when you get out in front, it's like, guys, look at how there's an old sketch with Jim Carrey trying to order fast food restaurant food, and like basically fitting in the fact that his character is gay into every <laughs> single sentence, and it is it is so awkward and hilarious. But today, that's just like a normal trip to the coffee shop. There's this show on Blaze TV that's Glenn Beck's outfit, isn't it? Blaze? Isn't, that, isn't Blaze TV? Yeah, I, I think that Blaze TV will eventually grow to be bigger than Newsmax. It's a but, Chris Beck's outfit. Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck, yeah. Glenn Sorry. Beck. But, yeah. but he has a bunch of different content on there, and this comedian has a show. He was supposed to call my show a couple days ago. He never called. He stood me up. Dave Landau. Oh, yeah. And so they got this new sketch show called, I believe it's called Normal World. And I cried laughing the entire 30 minutes of this sketch show, which involved one skit where these two progressive ultra-liberal neighbors are sitting on the porch, and Dave Landau's character is so upset and so distraught because his son came out to him as straight. <laughs> he was crying. He couldn't believe it. He could, and his neighbor was like, I thought he was a cheerleader. Yeah, he is a really good cheerleader. But he said he only did it to meet chicks. Like he was, <laughs> he was so, you've got to go to YouTube and check it out. I, am, I think, I'm, I think I'm Dave, to I, a watch later playlist right I'll now. I'll send it I gotta, to you. I got to see it. Or maybe I could. Or maybe I could retweet, and I think Dave Landau is coming to Irvine Theater here uh, Friday. So I, that that's a show I'd like to go see. But it's that show I believe that I, that I mentioned that's on Blaze TV is is a, is a show that our audience, the Hammer Nigel audience, would like. I believe. So, all right, uh, on to uh, other stuff here. A rather terse Karen. 
Oh. Scolding a drive-thru worker for calling her honey. Oh. And she'd like to see the manager about it. Can I get um, two McDoubles, just plain, nothing on it? Two McDoubles, only cheese. Nothing on it. <laughs> you understand, but the McDoubles come with cheese. You want a cheese or no cheese? Nothing on it, no cheese. Sorry, honey. It's okay. Stop with the honey, please. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Enjoy. <laughs> Stop laughing. Not funny. Uh, I'm not your honey, so stop telling me honey is what I'm saying. You can just say whatever you need to say. Where's your manager? Let me speak to your manager. Oh, wow. The I, ultimate Karen. Oh, no. Is this anything? I, I No. I mean, I, granted, it's not like the case in which, you know, a, a diner waitress comes up and calls me honey. Look again. I think now, these days, that the Hardee's br- breakfast has surpassed Chick-fil-A's breakfast. Oh, wow. I, I know. It's, it's a huge breakthrough. I think they do the chicken Whoa. biscuit better. They actually give you enough hash browns to eat. There's a server at a Hardee's in Greenfield who always calls me honey or doll. It doesn't bother me. I know that, that, that it's perhaps not... PC per se, but she just does such a darn fine job on my meal. Now, in this way, maybe she's you know being sarcastic because drive-through speakers are horrible and, and that kind of a thing. But I have a question for you, Nigel. Did you notice in the background that there was some kind of loud music playing? Yeah. Are, do you ever notice when people go to the drive-thru and they don't turn their music yeah, down? Yeah, it's annoying. Yeah, they like, did that. Are, I worked at Burger King. It was my first job you're, ever. You're talking yeah. to people. I don't want to hear what's on. Yeah, they in, did that all the time. No, and, and also just be patient. I, mean, the, it, it, it was, I will say it probably fr- very frustrating to begin with because the lady at the other end of the speaker kept on saying, do you want cheese on that? It comes with cheese. No, two doubles, no cheese. But it comes with cheese. Do you want cheese? <laughs> like That could probably get a little frustrating for me. No. I don't want cheese, but the double cheeseburger comes with cheese. No cheese, plain. That would get a little frustrating for me. I mean, sure, yeah, but I mean, the, the, that's the funny thing is that, like, again, her kids are, are laughing at her, presumably. Which, look, I, I used to laugh at my dad when he would get mayonnaise yeah. on a sandwich he didn't like it. Uh, and that you know, that's just the way life is. But I mean, you know, asking for the manager, do you really think that's going to go well no. at this point? Who posted the video? Did her kids? <laughs> Probably. Out. The Hammer and Nigel show. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. We have a possible update on whose cocaine it was there at the uh, White House. Ah, yes. That little cubby hole there next to the uh, Situation Room. Possible update. Uh, I will give you the details here in just a second, but I did want to start with this. The gun grabbers are at it again. They're always at it, though, aren't they? I was going to say, it's a day ending in Y, ain't it? You are a, uh, a staunch two-way supporter. Absolutely. Very, mem- oh. Member of the NRA? Uh, no, although uh, I have recently become acquainted with a couple of uh, their staff, and, uh, and I'm more of a gun rights of America kind of guy. I think that the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, that federal agency, I think that should be a convenience store, uh, not, <laughs> a, uh, not a federal agency. Okay. So Democrats sort of reintroducing legislation that would impose a 1,000% 
excise tax on what they call semi-automatic assault weapons in high-capacity magazines. So, to give you an example, the AR-15, best-selling U.S. rifle, according to NPR. Yes. Cost between 400 for a basic model, $2,000 for a higher-end model. This new tax would increase those prices to a range of $4,000 to $20,000. Tell me your initial thoughts and uh, what exactly the Democrats are trying to do here. I think it's it's obvious. It's obvious what they're trying to do. They're trying to ban assault weapons because they think that if they just ban it, then all crime magically stops. Only here's a fun fact. That's not how that works. Uh, Also, uh, the Second Amendment exists to protect citizens from the federal government. It exists to protect my rights. When the government screws up or doesn't do their job, I still get to defend my rights. Please turn your attention to the rooftop Koreans who defended their businesses during the L.A. riots in the 90s. What about uh, Ukrainians? The Ukrainian people? Oh, yeah. They, they, were, they, were, they were giving yeah. them AK-47s left and right. Right. There are ultra-left-wing progressive liberals with Ukraine flags in their Twitter bios that uh, obviously support their right to have a gun as they should and that's for foreign enemies and in, as well as domestic Absolutely. tyranny as well so the, the fun thing that i want to point out here is that at the top of this document it has in quotes semi-automatic assault weapons end quote <laughs> what is an assault weapon there is no genuine structural functional definition for what an assault weapon is if you take away the scary looking black metal and the weapons machinery sits in a wood stock and it looks just like a regular basic hunting rifle it's no different you just can't put a sight on it on the side if it's got a left-handed picatinny like there's just no it doesn't make any sense and also slapping great excise taxes on things just makes me want to sell firearms illegally after it goes down I'm going to be honest. Like, hey, if you're in Illinois. Wow, I didn't think about it like that. If you're in Illinois and you cannot buy certain capacity magazines or AR-15s, I in Indiana will gladly help you acquire one where it is legal to purchase one. And then you can take them home because that's an unconstitutional law. So, and, and this, by the way, this is a stupid law. And talk about tone deaf. It's kind of hilarious. We're already fed up with Bidenflation, right? Prices are through the roof on everything, and they want to take the most popular sport rifle in the country, if not the world, and make it 10 times more expensive. And then ask yourself this everybody, why isn't there a ban right now? Why isn't there a ban on assault weapons right now? Because Americans didn't elect enough representatives running on a platform of gun control, or else it would be in place. The majority of Americans don't want this, and they certainly don't want a ridiculous price increase. Well, I mean, a, a few a few things there. So Obama had a supermajority during his terms, and he didn't pass anything. And then Biden had a supermajority, and he didn't pass anything. And then the Supreme Court ruled that banning quote unquote assault weapons is unconstitutional. Right. So you're out of luck, pal. I'm sorry, it ain't gonna happen. And even if it did happen, it, you are not. First of all. Over half of the nation's like sheriff's deputies that have gone on the record to talk about this have already said, I'm not going to anyone's house and confiscating anyone's guns. That that ain't happening. And number two, of the citizens that have guns, good luck taking them, man. Okay. No I, I, what a stupid move. That That is not going to go how you think it's going to go. Okay. Headline. Secret Service tracked White House cocaine to, quote, Biden family orbit. Now, this is, um, it's got a lot of attention in the New York Post, but this 
This report is actually by Soldier of Fortune magazine, based on three security sources. We all know what happened. Can we? Can you relive what happened at the White House a couple of weeks ago? With the yeah. Cocaine? So the White House, there was an event uh, outside the Situation Room in some cubbies, which, by the way, is surveilled by cameras. Uh, there was found a small bag of cocaine, and so they, of course, the American public is like, "Wow!" In the White House, right outside the Situation Room, whose is it? Of course, the President's son, Hunter Biden, who had been at the White House <laughs> around that time, seems like the obvious has choice. Has a very serious cocaine problem. I thought it was more like likely to be a staffer because I guarantee it, write it down, half the staffers at the White House are on a mix of Adderall and cocaine. It's just the way it is. That's D.C. That is the God's honest truth for every presidential administration since Reagan. Now, I should point out that orbit, the Biden family orbit means that it includes his family and their aides and staff. So it doesn't just mean someone with the last name Biden, unless the story says something different. Let's get to that. So I'll just read straight from Soldier of Fortune. The Secret Service told President Joe Biden the name of the person who brought a packet of cocaine into the White House last month, according to three security sources with direct knowledge of the incident. All three sources independently told Soldier of Fortune the same name, which arose from an investigation into the incident. The sources currently work for a U.S. government agency, and they are not authorized to speak to the media. When cocaine was found inside the White House, some observers speculated that the drug belonged to Hunter Biden. But security sources told Soldier of Fortune that the first son was not involved. Quote, it was someone within the Biden family orbit, and it wasn't Hunter, according to another source. So there you go. The Biden family orbit what does that mean you you mentioned what it, so normally it, when you it, describe like an orbit as far as an, an individual or a group of individuals you're talking about the, those people and their staff so if you were to talk about my orbit you would probably also include my editor who edits my articles and then my intern but but but, but this is biden family orbit right and so i would suggest that biden and jill and hunter and various other members of his family that are high-profile individuals okay, have, okay. like, aides and staff. Okay. I'm, and I'm only including those because I'm saying that this has to be, like, an incredible long shot for it to be Hunter throwing his cocaine in a random cubbyhole. <laughs> it's just, I mean, look, could that be perfect storm? I can't believe it. Wow, that would be crazy. Yes, but I am still not going to throw the Hail Mary shot and say yeah. it has to be him. So I, I'm cautioning on that one. All right, um, let's pivot here. Do you want to hear what it sounds like when Hank Williams sings a song from N.W.A.? Absolutely. I we, do. We all, this, know, we all know N.W.A. Is this like an A.I.? Doc, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. Oh, uh, for not, sure. Not Snoop Dogg. Dr. Dre, um, uh, Ice Cube. Yeah. DJ Yella. Easy E. Straight out of Compton changed my life when I was a kid. Did it really? I loved it. I, I couldn't get enough of gangster rap. And, and I think that, you know, looking back... And I asked, um, I think it was Daryl Mack from Run DMC, uh, Raising Hell was another favorite rap album of mine. Sure. I go, did you guys like know that white suburban kids were eating this up? They were like, oh yeah, oh yeah. That was a big plan. That was a big part of why we were so successful, these white rednecks in the sticks listening to our music. So anyway, here's what it would sound like if country legend Hank Williams sang NWA's 
straight out of Compton. Straight out of Compton, crazy mother named Ice Cube. From the gang called Fellers with Attitudes. When I'm called off, I got a sold off. Squeeze the trigger and bodies are hold off. You too, boy, if you with me. The police are gonna have to come and get me off your That's how I'm going out for the pop mother showing out when I'm in your neighborhood. You better duck. Cause Ice Cube is crazy As I leave, believe I'm something I'm coming straight out of Compton AK-47 is the tool Don't make me act like a mother fool You're weekly, monthly, yearly And tell them dumb mother See clearly There you go Hank Williams, uh, that that was from, there's this guy on YouTube called the There I Ruined It guy. Oh, yeah, a lot of AI music. I, I, I love said it exactly like Hank Williams. Oh, yeah, AI is insane. It's getting better all the time. And I, by the way, I really love mashups and things like that yeah. anyway. So there's a, a <laughs> remix on YouTube that I really enjoy that mixes, uh, oh, and I, I can't remember which guy it is, but basically one of those, like, um, uh, rap songs with Miley Cyrus party in the USA. Do you remember in Shawshank Redemption uh, when they're like building the library and you've got the guy listening to Hank Williams yeah. on the record? Oh, yeah. That's what this is what I'm picturing him listening That's... to is straight out of Compton. <laughs> now, I've just been informed that you guys had this story last week when I was gone. Is this the Allison? Is this the the world record for the loudest burp. And the loudest burp, yeah. You we guys did this last so week. We did, but I, hold, hang on just a second here, because I think that for those that didn't hear us talk about it last week, when Hammer and I went over it, you out there, when you're driving home on the god-awful interstate known as 465, you are picturing in your mind a sound. You think world's loudest burp. You can hear it, right? It sounds loud. It's I like, haven't I haven't heard it yet. I just downloaded it, I'm so, so I'll be hearing it for the first time. Okay, That's so why tell, I me thought, what you, tell me what you think this burp is going to be like like paint a word picture for me like a like the roar of a dinosaur yeah like it's gonna last <laughs> several seconds like it's gonna sound like it's shaking the very microphone recording it you know it's gonna be shaking like nancy pelosi on okay. stage so like we that's should, what it's gonna so sound should, like should we still do the story even though you guys did oh, this yeah, last I, week because i didn't know i uh, matt our executive producer you need, sent this to me but he I, I didn't hear the audio you need to hear what the real burp sounds like okay all right virginia woman kimberly winter 33 breaking the Guinness world record for the loudest burp for a woman. I already knew I was loud. I already had the confidence. I just needed to get the right mixture in my belly to produce this world record-breaking burp. <laughs> That's it. It's 107.3. Yeah! Yeah! Can, can, can you isolate where she burped? Because I didn't, so while, I missed it. I while think. she's isolating it, I want to point out that anytime you hear a video start with that stupid corporate music, you know it's yeah. going to be garbage. Doom, 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 doom. Like, oh, it's so sterile and gross. Like, I knew I had it in me. Congratulations. So, so that's the, okay. That's it. Anticlimactic. Now, uh, since Hammer and I effectively share the same brain, I'm assuming he played booger from revenge of the nerds who has the real loudest burp that is true and from the lambda moo team (laughs) i knew it dudley dawson booger booger (laughs) (laughs) i'm 
so glad we did that, even though you guys had that story last week when you I was did, gone. But, I mean, this is important. Like, you, when you picture in your mind. Yeah, that wasn't very good. The, no. Her, the, the woman's birth. That is disappointing. She's out here talking. I knew I could do it if I just had the mixture. Oh, get out of here. Is there, somebody could tell me and look it up, uh, and please tweet at us, at Hammer and Nigel. Is there a Guinness Book of World's Records, uh, world records for the loudest fart? Ooh. And and that is what are you laughing at, Allison? I mean, I think that's a legitimate question. Yeah, that's right. Suppose. If you have a world record for the loudest burp, I would say the loudest flatulence. Yeah, the the loudest blast. More of consequences gas. for that one. I yeah, think. exactly. Oh, because right. if it gets too loud, you're gonna have other problems. <laughs> Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock it! My name is Nigel, Tony Kennett, investigative columnist for The Daily Signal, filling in for Jason Allen Hammer. How are you? Absolutely stellar, and you? Doing well. Um... Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida. Polling numbers are dropping. Campaign seems to be floundering a little bit. He's had to put the reset button to switch campaign managers. Say what you want about him as a presidential candidate. But there's no denying he's been fantastic for the state of Florida in terms of his leadership, right? No, he's one of the most popular governors they've ever had for a reason. The dude's doing good work in Florida. And opened Florida up back you know, almost immediately as soon as I was able to get on a plane in 2020. My wife and kids jetted down to St. Pete. and To the land of freedom. Yeah, exactly. And and this is another example about you know, how I wish we had this kind of leadership here. In this city. In oh, this that'd be state. nice, wouldn't it? Listen, you, listen wow. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis suspended state attorney Monique Worrell for basically dereliction of duty, basically citing a lack of mandatory minimum sentencing for various crimes, neglect of duty, abusing discretion, all things that sound very familiar here in the city of Indianapolis. Very true. Um she, I mean, basically routinely allowed murderers and other violent offenders to, quote, escape the full consequences of their criminal conduct. Again, an issue that sounds all too familiar here, uh, right in Marion County in this city. Mm. So here is, so they made that announcement. And here is, who is this guy? Oh, yeah, Brever, uh, the uh, Brever County Sheriff, Wayne Ivey. With Ron DeSantis standing in the background talking about his move to suspend the super woke state attorney. When it comes to law and order, Governor DeSantis is not playing. Governor DeSantis, like I and all the others standing up here, took an oath, an oath of office to protect our communities. He understands that government's one and only responsibility is to protect its citizens. And his actions today, without question, saved the lives of citizens in Central Florida. But they also saved the lives of citizens in other parts of this state. Because just like Sheriff Judd and the other surrounding counties, those criminals that were being let out, not charged, not prosecuted, coming into my county as well. Sounds extremely familiar. Again, we had we talked about that problem a couple of weeks ago with uh, the Johnson County prosecutor saying, hey, uh, 
I'm, I'm, you know, we're halfway filled with Marion County residents right now, our jails. 75% right. of these criminals are coming from Marion County. And I'm telling you what, I'm locking them up. I ain't like your, I ain't like your squish, awful, uh, woke prosecutor here in Marion County. If you break the law in my county... You're going to jail. Imagine being a prosecutor and uh, trying to convince the general population that your job isn't just to punish the criminals that infringe on the rights of those in your state. That you think, <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I'm just kind of like a lever of equity and like really just spreading and diversity. That's what, and that's what this this state attorney Monique Worrell, um, you know, dereliction of duty, uh, letting murderers and other violent offenders out, escaping justice. Here is uh, the uh, Brevard County Wayne Ivy on arresting the same people over and over again, which again here is a problem. We arrest the same people over and over again. Central Florida has been exposed to a state attorney that ignored her oath. A state attorney that ignored being the voice of the victims. And today, Governor DeSantis is the voice for those victims. <laughs> This is simple about law and order. So, again, arresting the same people over and over and over again. For instance, that that murderous scumbag that killed his his uh, his girlfriend in front of the daycare center. Right. Um, and he should have never been out in the first place because of previous crimes. And then he went on to kill uh, um, a, sh- a sheriff that was uh, transporting him. You know, the number one way to keep people from uh, committing uh, to commit, uh, excuse me, the number one way to prevent repeat abuse and violent crimes is to uh, not release them back out into public to commit more violent <laughs> what crimes. A, what a novel concept. I know. It's, it's a really interesting Wait, did, statistic. You want me to keep going with this guy? I got one more clip from this. Uh, yeah, let's this, hear. I mean, this, this guy's this, obviously aggrieved at the junk he has to deal with. Yeah, Brevard County uh, Sheriff, again, with Ron DeSantis standing behind him, um, uh, talking about not wanting to become like other cities. Folks, we don't want to become some of these other areas we see around the country. New York's, Los Angeles, Chicago, Detroit, (laughs) Seattle. I can go on and on. We don't want to become those. And we need strong leaders that are going to say enough is enough. No, we're not going to do the hug-a-thug program. No, we're not going to do soft on crime. What we are going to do is put bad people in jail. The hug-a-thug program. The the, the hug-a-thug program is in full effect in Marion County with the revolving door of the criminal justice system. I mean, it really is. I mean, so, again, how low of an opinion? So, again, the the reason that a lot of these individuals cite that they want to release people back onto the streets is that they were unfairly treated because of the color of their skin. How low of an opinion of people of color do you have to have to believe that you need to release criminals back into their communities to better them? Like, like, like you're saying that if there's a guy who's arrested and he's black yeah. and he committed a violent crime, you need to release him back to the community because the black community can be benefited by having a murderer released among them. Yeah, that's that that's a really disgusting sense. thing to, to say about the black community. Would you like to hear from a disgraced, woke state attorney, Monique Worrell? I mean, yeah, because you, you, before you play it, you got to set up some, some preference here. Does she actually just kind of hide and say, well, I always abode by the law and this is ridiculous? Or does she kind of flaunt exactly? why she was fired. That's the question I have. See for yourself. All right. Well, good morning. I think this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, If we're mourning anything this morning, it is the loss of democracy. 
I am your duly elected state attorney for the Ninth Judicial Circuit, and nothing done by a weak dictator can change that. This- well, yeah, it can. He signed an executive order suspending you. <laughs> yeah, you're part of the executive branch. That's that's how that works. He's in charge of the executive branch. Okay, so she's she's throwing a pity party. She 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 equiv- she uh, throws the equivalence of, you know, when I lose my job, that's the same of the death of democracy under right. a dictator. Okay, so she's a she's a prima donna. Okay, I I know a lot of attorneys who are prima donnas. Let's keep going. What she this got? This is an outrage. Three years ago. I was elected by the people of the Ninth Judicial Circuit to lead this circuit. And yes, to do things unconventionally, to do things differently. Mm -hmm. But I didn't hide, I didn't say that I would do things and I didn't do them. I didn't say I wouldn't do things and not did them. I did exactly (laughs) what I said I would do, and that is what you want from an elected official. No, no, no. That's not not what you want from an elected official. See, there's this interesting thing. When I elect someone to a position, I want them to follow the law. So this is the same thing with with Representative Jim Lucas from down in Seymour. When he broke the law and people were mad, I was like, this is a personal problem. Why is everyone mad? Because I elected you to uphold the law and to write good laws, not break the law. In the same way with this woke attorney, unconventional, you know, I did things differently. Yeah. Yeah, you violated yeah, the law. Exactly. You didn't you, give. You sucked at your job. Yeah, you had people who did things that required minimum sentences, minimum sentences for violent crimes, and you're like, we don't need a minimum sentence. I mean, I, I'm just going to ignore the law and let them go. Yeah, it turns out that people don't like it when their state prosecutors or their city prosecutors or county prosecutors, Ryan Mears, let people go. <laughs> Shocker. So another win for uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I know that if he doesn't end up getting the GOP nomination to run for president, there will be some very happy Floridians. Because yeah, that I, is true. I know many of them that don't want him to become president. They they want him all to themselves. Selfish bastards. Yeah, I was getting ready to say selfish. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done this for a while. We're going to check in with America's battle against COVID-19. COVID-19. Oh, I swear that I mean at this moment. There are three vaccines. China piss off. Now you've made the world cough. Here we go. We're all nervous because of COVID-19. Uh, that was really nice. No, thank you very much. I was proud of my performance there. Let's start with this study from the peer-reviewed medical journal uh, called the JAMA Network, Journal of American Medical Association. Fall of 21. This is when they were doing their research in four Massachusetts school districts with 18,000 kids. Hmm. Researchers found... 44 cases of in-school transmission. Okay. 44 <laughs> cases. So You have 18,000 students, uh, 34 schools, four months, and 44 COVID infections, uh, including so, no infections of teachers to other staff members. So, forcing masks over the faces of toddlers and young children... Uh, did nothing at all. Well, actually, this study shows, if you dig a little bit deeper into the study, more kids caught COVID that were wearing masks. <laughs> oh, gee, you mean wearing the... I remember this a friend... This is unbelievable. I'm reading about this in Alex Barents and Substack, and I'm, I'm, but I'm not even... I'm, I'm looking at the JABA. It's called the Journal of American Medical Association, peer-reviewed journal. I'm looking at this, and I'm shaking my head. I go, this is stuff we already knew, man. We already knew all this stuff. The kids weren't vectors. They, so... They weren't at risk. 
risk of this disease. No, and and there were, I mean, goodness gracious, the, the things that we could talk about with this. What catches me, though, is the, the friend of mine who's a political pundit, her name's Bethany Mandel, was roasted online for showing a picture of what her kids' mask looked like at the end of the day, and it was filthy on the inside. Oh, because awful. kids are, because yeah, by yeah, the way, yeah. kids are filthy. <laughs> yep, shocker. And like, this isn't healthy. And there you go. Again, a, a place where, where you know, that kind of food matter and other things could keep that warm and moist and let things fester and develop and hold that junk there. Yeah, it's unhealthy. It's ridiculous. My kids had to wear, I think, basically for a semester, uh, masks when they went back. And it, it they thought they thought they were going to have to wear them. They, we had Christmas break there right. at 2020, going into 2021, and we thought they were going to have to wear them for another semester. My daughter started crying. She hated it. Now, in a moment of clarity, Zionsville decided not to bring the masks back. So they only had to wear them for a semester, but others. I didn't know other school districts like that in Plainfield. They never wore masks. So it's not just it's, the it's not just the mask wearing. You said forty four transmission cases in school out of eighteen thousand. Yes. Were those the numbers? Yes. Okay. So uh, the the question that I have to ask is why schools like Charles A. Beard Memorial School Corporation, that's Knightstown for for those of you out there in Eastern Central, why a school board member was on the mic calling former teacher a former teacher uh, insane and a grandma killer. Because she yeah. wanted students, her students as well, back in school. That so a grandma killer. Forty four cases out of eighteen thousand, and and you're going to be singing around yeah. grandma killer. These are school board members in your communities, folks. You got to pay attention to who you elect to school boards and throw around a bunch of a scientific nonsense. Never shut down the schools again. It was a mistake to begin with. I mean, I, I I've moved past that in, in the personal in the personal reflective. I think that we should be encouraging. I even started encouraging public school teachers who are decent to leave the public school and start micro schools. Yeah, and basically bring like, on like pod schools. Kind of, yeah. Bring on ten families who will basically pull together and pay your salary, and you kind of one room schoolhouse those kids. And it, it does ridiculously great things for their reading and math performance. I got uh, some more news about COVID nineteen. You remember early on. Uh, you had ob- there were obvious signs that you'd been hit with the virus. The, number one being the loss of smell and taste. Right. Did you ever have that happen to you? Uh, I had a I had a brief stint where I I didn't lose my sense of smell, but everything tasted like pennies for a little bit. <laughs> everything tasted like copper zinc for. So did you get how many, how many times have you had COVID? I had or COVID twice. Okay. Uh, I had COVID uh, once. Well, maybe three times because I I caught it right after CPAC 2020. I was like one of your first. Uh, young cases to get oh. it on my way home. Yeah, we had no idea what we had because no one knew what it was yet. Congratulations. Thank you. The third time was my favorite. <laughs> it was when I was supposed to go to the South Madison school board meeting and I caught it in the airport on the way home. Oh, no. I'm pretty sure. And yeah, that was a rough I one. It's like hallucinating so, fevers. They, oh, oh, was you had a bad, bad, because the only time I know that I had COVID was when I, yeah, I lost all sense of taste and smell for a couple of weeks. Couldn't smell candles, couldn't taste beer. Couldn't Did you have taste fevers? Food. No, nothing else. That's so, so, it's so weird. I guess I, I you get, would call that asymptomatic or whatever, but I have not been sick. Well, you're still symptomatic, but it's not It's not a, seri- it's not a yeah, seriously I, I impacting not your respiratory system. In, in, in any way, shape, or form. My wife got hit hard. So the reason I bring up the t- sense of taste and smell thing, now according to new data, those are no longer symptoms of COVID. And we're seeing less and less of those types of uh, symptoms with this, uh, I guess there's a new variant. Yeah, I told my students. 
students about this in spring of 2020. I was teaching at Lawrence North at the time, and I told my biology class that as the virus continued, that a virus has to, in order to become more spreadable, it has to give up part of its uh, like space you would store on a USB stick. It has to, as more it gives to communicability, it has to give up its its punch, its its effect, its deadliness. Sure. And so that's what COVID is becoming. The more communicable it becomes, the more it mutates into basically nothing. Well, they're going to probably have to start wearing masks in New York again because uh, <laughs> the number of COVID cases in New York has spiked by 55%, Tony. And by the way, so if you can't tell if you have COVID or not, like if you, if you what are the symptoms then? Like the sniffles? Like if you have like if you if you don't if one of the symptoms is is losing taste and smell and now that's not gone that that's not a symptom you know what is I think you have to just go to the oracle from the matrix and then you know she puts down her cigarette and cookies and says listen dollface you got covid and then raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Like, that's it. The Hammer and Nigel Show. Hello, my name is Nigel. Tony Kennett is filling in for Jason Hammer. We'll go straight to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on Brett Sadler. Uh, former Navy captain, senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Brent, uh, I saw you on TV the other day. I believe it's, I think it was Fox Business, but I just caught the tail end of your interview. You were talking about Russia and China and the aggression towards the United States, and you said something really, and I didn't get to see the entire interview, but what you ended the interview with really raised my eyebrows. You said, keep an eye on Alaska. What did that mean? Yeah, so the bottom line is everything's been real quiet. There's no pressures coming from the White House, DOD, not even North Northern Command, which is responsible for Alaska, Alaskan airspace, or Indo-PACOM, where some of the destroyers that trailed the Chinese-Russian combined naval group uh, came from. And it's been kind of quiet. But those guys, are the Chinese and the Russians, are still there up in Alaskan waters. And they'll probably be there for a few more days. But we would know that by watching the news or from our government. What are they doing? So what we do know from kind of piecing things together from Chinese uh, media sources and Russian media sources is they were they were practicing anti-submarine warfare, hunting down and you know tracking together a hostile submarine and then using live fire, actual ordnance, to sink a target submarine. And they did that. Um, where they did that exactly, it'd be nice if we had that detail told to us. But what we get from the Russians and the Chinese is they were doing it starting in the Sea of Japan. They transited six days up into the Bering Sea and waters off Alaska. Now, and now they, yes, I, I kind of want to chime in just because there's kind of a, an idea here that I don't think you know the average, uh, perhaps a Democrat on the Hill might say. Well, you know, a lot of countries conduct anti-submarine warfare training. Uh, when you take China and Russia out of the equation, how many other nations on Earth have navies with substantial submarine components? There's probably about a dozen, and I would say of that dozen, probably only about six are are competent for the ability to actually go hunt down another submarine, uh, especially a nuclear submarine. So it's it's not a big club, and really the United States, the Japanese, uh, the Brits, 
really are some of the top end. Maybe the French, to a degree, are all at the top end. The apex hunters in that in that arena. So basically, you have you know NATO plus you know Japan, our number yeah. one ally over there in the Pacific, uh, that is basically the what you might suggest is the target of this kind of training exercise by Chinese and Russian mm-hmm. navies. That's it. Um, the other part I'd add is anti-submarine warfare. That's the varsity sport of naval warfare. This is not easy. It's very complex. And the fact you're doing it with another country, in this case, the Chinese and Russian doing it together, that's a whole nother degree of complexity they add, they're they adding and perfecting. Wow. So uh, just to recap, Russian and, uh, Russia and China conducting drills close to Alaska with submarines involved, fire shots, sinking targets, um, basically doing these drills. I had this right, and I've seen nothing about this on, on mainstream media. That is correct. It, it would be really helpful for our Department of Defense to at least clarify what has happened and where it has happened and where this Chinese-Russian combined naval force is located. Um, that, that's that's missing. And the fact that it hasn't gotten more energy or more of a response wow. is uh, troubling. Uh, we're on with Brett Sadler from the Heritage Foundation talking a little bit about uh, this interesting series of maneuvers that the Chinese and Russian navy navies are, are practicing out in the Pacific off the coast of Alaska, or excuse me, off the coast of Alaska, but also the South China Sea, as well as some other U.S. operations uh, in, in the South Pacific have been getting a little bit of special attention. Uh, I, I've seen reports that, you know, you have U.S. naval ships that are basically being cut off in the sea by Chinese warships, yeah. and they're getting more uh, abrasive and affrontal in their, their interactions with the U.S. Navy. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a symptom of a Navy and a Chinese Communist regime that doesn't fear the United States. Uh, And so you're seeing more and more of this. I mean, during the Shangri-La dialogue where you had ministers of defense and our own secretary of defense, literally that was bookended by some very dangerous and unprofessional near collisions by the Chinese against our naval vessels. South China Sea right now. And what makes this event up off Alaska so provocative is, A, you've got Russia waging an illegal war of aggression in Ukraine as one of the partners, and you have the Chinese actually using water cannons and interfering with and attacking Philippine government resupply operations to their garrisons in their own islands. So, And also the Chinese are driving lots of aircraft and ships around Taiwan in a month-long pressure campaign. For that reason, the context makes this very provocative. Uh, Not only that, but it seems like they're testing us. I mean, you have the Chinese spy balloon uh, incident a couple of months ago where this balloon from China was allowed to hover over military installations here in the United States, and then uh, it was shot down somewhere over the East Coast, and everybody was high-fiving and celebrating, and I'm like, (laughs) what? What Are are you kidding me? What? Could you take us Back to that moment uh, over the whenever that happened happened sometime yeah. earlier this summer. Just kind of take us back as exactly what happened and what China was able to glean uh, from us allowing a Chinese spy balloon to hover over the United States for days. Yeah, that was I think it was back in May. So May, you know, literally. Uh 
you know, that was still the talk of the town when when I was in Singapore for Shangri-La Dialogue. And that experience, that recent experience, is what's animating me right now on this issue up in the Alaskan waters. If you recall, back at the time of the spy balloon, the administration was trying to ignore it or hoping it would go away because there was a there was a they were in the effort in the midst of an effort to get Secretary of State and the National Security Council advisor to Beijing to try to open new dialogue with the Chinese. And so they were trying to suppress that or at least ignore it. But, but the balloon flew over Montana and the Dakotas, and folks there were watching it and live streaming it, and it was unavoidable by that point. That was like a week into it. So they almost got away with it. I think the same thing's at a foot here. Um, there are efforts. There's working groups. Try, some of it's leaking out that the administration is working some kind of new modus operandi with the Chinese, the details of which are scant. But maybe they're trying to protect ongoing negotiations in this new new type of relationship. So that's kind of the thing that, that I'm that I'm interested in because a lot of the people uh, that discuss this issue say, well, you know, China's just you know kind of exerting their their force and their pressure in the in the Pacific, and they're just trying to make sure that we know that they're there. Uh, but, you know, Michael Cunningham over at the Heritage Foundation paints kind of a different picture on the inside of China. And there's a lot of chaos and pressure. They're kind of tearing themselves apart from the inside. And there's a lot of concern that that kind of a thing can lead to, as uh, as as um, the Z regime starts to get a little unstable, they can make erratic military moves. And, and at least from, from my very limited uh, perspective over here, it looks like we're kind of seeing the symptoms of some erratic military military choices and movements uh, that are definitely a symptom of, of China's ills on the inside. No, absolutely. The Chinese Communist Party controls everything. Uh, I mean, the market, the people's freedoms, and the military. The military is a tool of the party. So if things start to fray, Xi Jinping at the top top of that party apparatus is going to feel compelled to do something that's going to rally the team, his communist team, together and pick in a fight with the United States, one that he thinks he can control. Maybe it's a crisis, can actually bolster his credentials. And so that's a very real danger, especially as we lead into Taiwan elections coming in January. No, I was that, that was my next question, piggybacking on Tony's question about their military. Is an invasion of Taiwan imminent? Um, not in the next like number of months. I don't think we're that. That's that's the world we're in right now. And I think the Chinese military and the, and the political leadership don't think they quite got all the data they need, and and their confidence is not near a hundred percent. So what I'm most worried about is as they try to refine their battle plans. The biggest question mark is what is this administration willing to accept? How far back are our red lines? And how are our allies in the region going to respond? So my biggest fear is we're going to see a violent provo- uh, provocation, uh, like running into a ship, like actual colliding and maybe injuring or killing uh, people mm-hmm, or wow. shooting down of an air. Something like that that tests our resolve, but in a small, scalable way that they think that the Chinese communist regime in Beijing thinks they can control and get a lot of insights to refine their war plans. Uh, 2027, the tail end of this decade, still 
still is where the odds kind of peak, where their advantages peak right. and then start to drop off. So it's a, a closing window by the 2030 time frame. We've been talking about the, 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 the Russia and China aggression towards the United States and how China is a real threat to the United States. Something else that's a threat that you know about pretty well is DEI in the military. How how much of a threat is diversity, equity, inclusion, that, that way of thinking, that ideology to the United States military? Well, I think the first thing that everyone needs to acknowledge and to, to really kind of get to grips with is at its core, diversity, equity, and it's that equity part is really the tell. Right. And inclusion is actually, it's actually a cover for Marxist ideology. Mm. And I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of folks and commentators and researchers that have also weighed into this. But that's the first thing is to, is to call it out what it is. It is, it's not intended at its core to improve war fighting capacity or capability, unit cohesion uh, at all. It actually distracts and it divides uh, every place that it's actually been implemented. This is a insidious, it's not, it does not have democ- American democracy at its heart or its concern, top of its concerns. It doesn't have our defense also. It's focused in on a Marxist roadmap for sowing dissension and causing people to look and compete against or fight each other as you know more of a socialist agenda takes takes the uh, top of levers of power in this country wow. so very real threat it's insidious you can't get into discussions or debates about meanings of words uh, without understanding that you're in a fight with ideologues that really the ends will never change for them and it's about power uh, and nothing less and DEI is a vehicle that seems to be working right now for them. So, uh, Brandon, I just want to bring this around in the last minute that we have here. I have a couple of former uh, squad mates who've talked about kind of the younger officer cadre of the day mm. don't really know anymore how to just be that calm officer that kind of keeps that unit cohesion high by being relaxed. This DEI is kind of whipping yeah. everyone up into a frenzy. And with the kind of pressure from China and Russia right now, I mean, do you really think that that's effective in keeping our troops well maintained? Knowing, I mean, goodness, a lot of enlisted guys have got to have some concerns yeah. about this stuff. Well, I mean, it's not a it's not a white, black, Asian. It's not a racial thing at all. I think all Americans, when they actually are, are being, you know, subjected to this DEI kind of rhetoric, realize and they can feel the divisiveness of it. Yes. That is breaking unit cohesion. And when you do that, your combat effectiveness goes down. Simple as that. And the key thing about it is, is uh, folks being can easily get bought in to think that they're doing things that are moralistic and idealistically good. And that's the, the insidiousness of this, this Marxist ideology, of, and it's really the equity piece. Yeah. So it sounds great, but when you start executing it, it's horrible. Brent, this has been uh, fascinating and terrifying all at the same time. Um, where, <laughs> where can people find you if they have questions and they want to know more? Well, the easiest thing is to go to heritage.org and uh, look me up there in the list of experts and get in touch with me that way. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. Easy just to find me there. And, and Twitter, or I guess now X. X. And, right on. Brent. Yeah, it's Brent D. Sadler. Hey, Brent, thanks a lot. And uh, we'd love to have you back for an update soon. Absolutely. You guys have a good day. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. 
raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.